So, uh, uh, hi, it's Graham here. Sorry to interrupt your podcast listening like this, but uh, I wondered if you could do us a little favour. I haven't told Carol I'm going to do this, and frankly, I'm not sure she's going to find out. Let's maybe keep it that way, shall we? Uh, I don't think she listens to the podcast, so she won't hear that I've tacked this on to the beginning. But the European Security Blogger Awards, they're about to happen, and Smashing Security has been nominated in a couple of categories. Huzzah, huzzah! You can vote in the awards for your favourite security blogs and security podcasts, hint, hint, but you've only got a few days before the voting closes. So do it today. Do it now. Hit pause. Oh, not before I've told you the URL. It's smashingsecurity.com slash vote. That will redirect you through magic to the voting form. And, well, hey, made the best podcast co-hosted for the last six or so years by a Brit and a Canadian win. Um, yeah, over to you. Smashingsecurity.com slash vote. Thank you very much. We love you all, uh, at least the people who vote for us. Uh, but for now, back to your normal service. And uh, sorry about this interruption. Do you have a particular problem with Angela Merkel? Is it true you called her an unfable lardass? Non arrivere, io non ho mai. No, I have never had any problems with Angela Merkel. Smashing Security, episode 311, TikTok, wiretapping, and your deepfake voice as your password, with Carol Terrio and Graham Cluley. Hello, hello, and welcome to Smashing Security, episode 311. My name's Graham Cluley. And I'm Carol Terrio. And Carol, who have we got in the hot seat this week joining us? Uh, we have the lovely Dinah Davis. Dinah, it's been, I don't know, a year since you've been on? Yeah, I think so. I'm excited, though. I love listening to you guys and I, I love chatting with you guys. So it's gonna be good. Woo! And Dinah, tell us, tell us what you get up to in the world of cybersecurity these days. Yeah, so um, I've been working with uh, an organization called the Rogers Cybersecurity Catalyst. I'm on their board and they have been doing amazing work getting much more diverse people into cybersecurity. They're a nine month speed program out of Toronto. And then just, you know, working with a lot of other startups and uh, trying to help mentor them and help them get off their feet. Marvelous. Let's thank this week's sponsors, Bitwarden, Collide, and Dorata. It's their support that help us give you this show for free. Now, coming up on today's show, Graham, what do you got? Hey, it's a me I'm a wiretapper. Okay. <laughs> Dinah, what about you? Um, I want to talk about the security value of biometric data. Ooh, biometrics. And uh, I'll be talking about why uh, some adult TikTok addicts might be despairing. All this and much more coming up on this episode of Smashing Security. Now, chums, chums, I want you to imagine the scene. There you are. You are a drug trafficker in Rome, Italy. Okay, you're... I don't know the first thing about that. How can I imagine that? Like, I, you know... I don't know. Like, what kind of drugs here? I'm not... <laughs> Does that make a difference? Or... Yeah. What year are we talking? What, lo- what city area? Are we in a gang? We're in a druggy part of Rome, Italy, right? I'm sure that doesn't exist. You're checking out your wife's car because you're worried there might be something going on. You find 
a GPS transmitter attached to your wife's car. And you think, oh, what's going on here? Someone is trying to track my movements. <laughs> it's just embarrassing, the accents, though, seriously. Right? Yeah. And you're wondering, is this, <laughs> is this the police you're thinking? What's going on? Might your phone be tapped as well. Okay, this is moving very fast for your stories. So basically, we've got a drug dealer. He's worried that he's being spied upon. He checks his wife's car, finds a GPS, and now is panicking yes. that he's being, listening, being listened to by somebody. Exactly. Okay. Maybe okay. it is. Okay. Okay. I mean, we, we have proved that, you know, if they're using a secure phone, that that's not going to be helpful. Right. <laughs> Several times on the show, <laughs> I think, over the years. <laughs> yeah. So he thinks, could, it, could my phone be tapped? And he, he calls his friend Camilla, and Camilla says, don't worry. I know someone who can find out if you're being tapped or not by the police. I've got a friend at the court, she says. He does me lots of favours. This woman is 27-year-old Camilla Marinera. She is a trainee lawyer and she has allegedly, allegedly, I better say that because she's a trainee lawyer, she's allegedly been finding out who the police are snooping upon in Rome. Now, Italy, you may not know this, I didn't know this until I did some investigations. Italy is apparently the most wiretapped country in Europe. According to whom? Really? Huh. According to Italian politicians. Some say it is more. <laughs> oh. Then it's okay. definitely so true. One side, one party They're says. They're very reliable, very trustworthy yes. Italian politicians. Mm -hmm. Some say it's, it's more wiretapped than anywhere else in the world. They love tapping phones. In fact, 200 million euros every year is spent on bugging the phones of hundreds of thousands of mafia mobsters, drug dealers, fraudsters, ice cream salesmen, plumbers wearing dungarees, the, the whole caboodle of Italian I know, people. but it's kind of weird. And, and probably some poor innocent people. Yeah, just right? right? Just scooped up in the net. But uh, I'm just yeah. surprised there's so many gangsters living there because of tax codes. In Italy? Yeah, like why wouldn't they go somewhere like a Crow, tax haven? Have you not heard of the mafia? Have you not? There, there no, is, I have heard of the mafia. There is a criminal contingent. It's not just half a dozen I've of them. I've seen the movies. There's a, there's a, <laughs> right. I mean, like I've never, is that actually true or is it just the movies? I really don't know. I listen to podcasts actually. Apparently it is true. Let's stress to all of our lovely Italian listeners, we know there's lots of people in Italy who aren't criminals, but there is obviously yeah. a criminal issue as well, to some extent. And some of them are making a lot of money through things like drugs and human trafficking and all sorts of nastiness. <laughs> and sometimes people who aren't criminals are getting tapped as well. So, for instance, journalists have had their conversation steps. There have been journalists who were reporting on uh, immigration uh, and the handling of immigrants. They were being Yeah, tapped. this has happened in the UK as well. Right? Yes, yes. Yes. It's not it, the only country can, where this has happened. It's just you're saying it's the most. Or shockingly, it might be happening in the US. My God. Dun, dun, dun. Oh, as if. As if. <laughs> well, according to Italian prosecutors, it's the only way they can penetrate the mafia and listen to corrupt deals being struck by white collar crooks, financial fraud, all these sort of things. Um, and so what they do is they ring up the phone company and say, hey, you know, it's the police here. Uh, can we monitor this call? And they say, of course, no problem. But when the criminals use an end-to-end -end encrypted messaging app like Signal to communicate, or, as you mentioned, Dinah, one mm -hmm. of these many secure messaging apps created by the police uh, <laughs> exactly. in order to spy on crooks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, in those cases, um, the police may have to infect the mobile phone with spyware to listen in instead. Now, what might surprise you is normally... Right-wing political parties are very keen to 
clamp down on crime, aren't they? They'd say, like, we're tough on crime, we're tough on the causes of crime, we're going to lock people up and throw away the key. Okay, who says that? Oh, typically right-wing politicians. Everyone, everyone who wants to get elected says, we're not. We're going to give criminals <laughs> a hard time. Okay, right, right? yeah. So, okay. Yeah, politics 101. Okay, yeah. But in Italy, in Italy, right-wing politicians hate wiretapping. Some right-wing politicians. Because probably they're involved with the mafia. Yeah. Well, that's one theory, Allegedly, Dinah. allegedly. Oh, yes, careful, Dinah. Say, throw some allegedly's in. That could be a reason. Well, the reason that, that many people think is because they are furious that left-wing newspapers keep publishing juicy stories based on wiretaps. So the police hear all these things being said by right-wing politicians. They tip off the newspapers, who then go and print it in their tabloid newspapers, all the juicy stuff. Do you remember Silvio Berlusconi, former Prime Minister of Italy? Yes. Who, how could we forget, Graham? Come on. He, he, <laughs> he, he was like a proto-Trump, wasn't he? He, um, okay. he got into trouble because he used to have parties which were called Bunga Bung parties uh, with showgirls. This is according to the and English tabloids, of course, you're getting this information. <laughs> I, and Italian, and Italian tabloids. Oh, I didn't know you read Italian. Based on your accent, I assumed not. But, you yeah. know. Uh, <laughs> 15 years ago, Berlusconi was being investigated. Yep. And police heard him saying... Um, amongst other things, that he didn't want to hog the attention of all the female guests at a party that he was planning because he said the um, must go around. I'll bleep out that word. And in 2014, the BBC's Jeremy Paxman, in an interview with Berlusconi, asked him to confirm reports that he had been secretly recorded on a wiretap calling Angela Merkel, who was then German Chancellor. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. An unfuckable lardass. Oh my god! Let's, yeah. let's, let's listen to that right yeah. now. Do you have a particular problem with Angela Merkel? Yeah. Is it true you called her an unfuckable lardass? No, I have never had any problems with Angela Merkel. Because that's important. Yes. That you know your your fuckability is so important <laughs> as to you know what kind of leader you could be. It's incredibly important. Yeah, how many Italian people must have just put just shaking their heads and just gone, "Oh my god, so embarrassing!" So embarrassing. So many would like tougher anti-wiretapping legislation to come into force, if only to keep themselves out of the headlines. <laughs> okay, yeah. But here is this woman. Remember this woman, Camilla Marinella. Right, who allegedly was offering to find out if a suspected drug trafficker's phone was tapped. And guess what? His phone was tapped, which means that the police heard her, allegedly, offering to find out if his phone was tapped. What? Seriously? She just incriminated herself. Yes. And so the police, when they heard her alleged claim that she could find the person in the court that she'd just have to pay 300 euros to, to find out if the tapping was occurring or not, the police then thought, right, we're going to have to find out who in the court is helping this woman, allegedly, find out who's being tapped and who isn't. <laughs> okay, but if you're the person trying to find out if yeah. other people are tapped, why would you have any conversations on the phone? Ah, Do they not well. watch the movies? We know that you go for a walk near a waterfall, right? She did try. Yes, yes, you could do that. Yes. We know this. She did put the hoover on. Exactly. She did go to the effort of using 
an encrypted messaging app. So she was using the Signal app. She was making a voice call via Signal. I use Signal. Yeah, I use Signal too. Yeah, right. So we we all use Signal. Oh, I didn't. I'm um, not confirming or denying anything like that. <laughs> no comment, Your Honor. No, no comment. Um, yeah, that's my voice as well. He's so good at accents, eh? <laughs> anyway, what she didn't realise was that just using Signal, even though Signal isn't one of those apps written by the police, as far as we know, the police had installed a Trojan app on her phone, and could monitor. They managed to do that and could monitor her so they, communications. So they must have known something before that then. Oh, no, I'm sorry. I've misled you. I've, I've, my research was failing. So they, they had the guy tapped. They had the alleged drug dealer tapped. Then okay. they saw that he was having a call with her. Ah, uh, okay. And then they tapped. They then uh. put spyware on her phone to see who else she was speaking to because, allegedly, she was using Signal. Sounds like a fun okay. place to live, eh? Well, Exactly. So she was heard, allegedly, on this call saying she'd make contact amongst the people who have the headphones on. So she was going to speak to the wiretappers to find out if they were wiretapping this other guy. <laughs> Meanwhile, not realising the wiretappers were listening to her. Hopefully different wiretappers. Inception of the wiretapping. You should have called this a bungle bungle party, part two. <laughs> so so she has been, allegedly, she has been, she's, she's refused to name her sources inside the court. She apparently has told accomplices that she's been very careful. Um, so she only meets her contact. She only makes contact with him when she's got a list of people that she wants to check, not just one by one. And they phone each other up. They they let it ring a number of times. Then they hang up. And this means I'm I'm ready to receive, you know, your message or your list or whatever. So there's all kinds of cloak and dagger stuff going around. Any horses' heads? No horses' heads. As far as, no, no, no. What? It's from the Godfather. No, oh, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so Camilla Marinera, <laughs> she's now under arrest. She denies all wrongdoing whose father just happens to be a convicted drug dealer. That's maybe how she became a lawyer. Oh, my God. Dinah, mm-hmm. what have you got for us this week? Yeah, so I wanted to talk about, you know, like the value of biometric data. So, Graham, Carol, how many kinds of biometric data are you currently using in, in your daily life? Can you Ooh. define it for me just so I make sure I don't look dumb later? Fingerprint, iris scan, face scan, that kind of stuff. I think the only one I'm doing is fingerprints on my phone. So I don't have like face ID turned on. I don't bank with anyone who asks to hear my voice. Right. Um, So yeah, finger and thumbprint, I suppose. I don't even use that. I have actually a password. Yeah. Okay. So like I have fingerprint for um, my phone and my laptop and my iPad because I guess I'm lazy. Um, (laughs) And then I also have a Nexus card. And so uh, if you don't know what that is, it's basically a program between Canada and the U.S. that lets me go in and out of of the U.S. much more easily. It's the the aisle in the airport that you watch them go ding, 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 and you're like, no, no, I hate you. And especially (laughs) since I live close to Toronto Pearson, uh, and that place is a horror show. Uh, it is very important to have the Nexus card. Yeah, I can <laughs> imagine. You get through everything like that. That's a very difficult airport. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They have my facial, fingerprint, and retinal data. Mm-hmm. Okay. And All in right. the past, I have also used my voice. I don't think it was for banking, though. I think it was for aeroplane points, which, if you don't know what that is, just it's just flying mm-hmm. points with Air Canada. Um, 
So like two weeks ago or something, I heard you guys talking with Dave Bittner and you were talking about um, the AI generated voices with a company called Eleven Labs, mm-hmm. right? Yes. And and it lets you make replicas of people's voices. And, you know, Dave played an example and it was really good. I thought it was amazing because it really did sound like Dave, didn't it? I mean, you it could did. Tell it it really him. did. Yeah. Um, so that was interesting. And then I came across an article uh, by Joseph Cox. And he decided to see if he could break into his own bank account via the telephone system using 11 labs. So cute. Huh. Long story short, like he totally did it. But, um, so he, he put a whole bunch of samples, uh, of his voice into 11 labs. Then he called the bank and only using files and, and, and audio clips from 11 labs, he was able to log in. Welcome to Lloyd's Bank. So we can get you to the right place. In your own words, please say the reason for your call. Check my balance. Okay. Please say your key in your date of birth. Please say, my voice is my password. My voice is my password. Thank you. He was able to check his balance, list all of his recent transactions and transfers, and I mean, who knows what else he could all get up to, Do you right? continue banking with a bank after you've done that? Because that must piss them off that someone, a journo, does this <gasps> and then writes about it. Like, I wonder if you clean out your account before you publish, just in case. I don't know. I mean, I feel like I would. I think I would, too. I bet he did. Yeah. <laughs> so that made me think about, like, okay, but what should we be using biometric right. data for? And, and when is it okay? Um, and, and the thing is, like, I can't change my fingerprint, right? If no. somebody, if somebody's got it, it's gone, it's gone for life. And, you know, you can, I, I've seen it happen because, uh, when I worked at Blackberry, we were putting fingerprint scanners into our, um, these smart card readers we were building for the government. And we would like try and practice to see how many times we could get a gummy bear to lift a fingerprint and then use it. <laughs> Um, <laughs> that's so funny. Because <laughs> like, we thought, like, wow. I mean, is this a real attack vector or not? I mean, like, things have gotten a little bit better, but still, it's not good. It's not good. Like, the security of just a fingerprint alone is not strong. Right? Yeah. That's, that's so scary. And so <laughs> many people are in prison based on that. You know, I'm just saying forensically. Anyway. Right. Right. And so I thought, okay, well, I use it. I do use it all the time. My daughter even can access my phone because I put one of her fingerprints in it so she can change the music while we're driving. okay well why is that okay or not okay you know somebody close to me could easily get into my phone right if i had face id or fingerprint while i'm sleeping no problem they can get it you have the phone in front of them and then you scare them so their eyes open and then you catch it that's what you gotta do (laughs) or if you're drunk as a skunk and you know careering around your living room yeah they could do yeah but presumably i trust these people anyway right they are my family Hmm. so i I trust them anyway you're lucky No, I'm kidding. I was kidding. My husband's gorgeous. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But what happens if you leave your phone on a plane? Which, right. uh, by the way, I did this year, which yeah. is uh, a horror show. You don't ever want to experience 16 days without a telephone. Um, forget but, snakes but, on a plane. Uh, but yeah, forgetting your phone on a plane is even worse. Yeah, in New Zealand. In New Zealand on your way home. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. I-, I got it back. I got wow. it back. Um, and I wiped everything remotely. 
Yeah. So smart. I was I was okay. I wasn't worried someone was getting in with my fingerprint ID, right? So if I randomly leave it someplace, I'm not worried about that. And uh, it's more likely they would try to, you know, brute force the password on it or whatever. Yeah. Right? So I feel like, okay, convenience is possibly a good a good uh, use of it. It makes it super easy for me to get in. There's always this uh, balance of cybersecurity and usability. We all know that the best thing would be like this amazing 12 to 18 digit password that no one else knows, <laughs> but that's not very convenient to put into your phone all the time. So No, it's irritating, okay. actually. I can tell you from my own... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, if, yeah. Carol, if it's irritating, I've got a great suggestion for you. You could just have like 12 letters A or something, or, you know, you don't have to have a complicated password. Yeah, just have yeah. a really easy yeah. one. And then I was thinking, okay, what about my face ID for like country entry, right? Mm. That seems like maybe it should be more serious, right? Like what happens then? But then I'm thinking, okay, well, I have to walk up to these booths, right? That like scan my face. I put my passport in. And so I need to be there in person. So Unless you're going to go all Mission Impossible, you 3D print somebody's face, put the mask on, <laughs> and then use my passport. Like, I, I think it's okay. I thought when you said Mission Impossible that you would actually use some wires to go above that whole fiasco and just fly over <laughs> no. the border control. <laughs> Remember, like, they're always peeling off a face. That's true. Always peeling off a face. <laughs> so I think for, for some things, biometric data is perfectly fine. I think getting into your bank account, things for that are online only, I think maybe no. Mm. That The voice, I think it's a total no now. Um, maybe only as a two-factor, uh, but I, I wouldn't, like, I would totally not be cool if my, if my bank what, account. What if they made you do a funny accent for the voice when you log into your I don't think account. that matters, does it? So, yeah, you're, like your Italian accent, that would be really good. If, exactly, yeah. exactly. If they've only got samples of your regular accent and they don't know what you sound like if you're tended to be French, for instance, Dinah, then uh, I'm, I'm just thinking the bank could record that. And I'm similarly thinking with facial recognition. If if they asked you to gurn, pull a particularly ugly face. So again, if your <laughs> real face is something which is shared with the public, you're not normally gurning or doing some really ugly thing, but I can True. picture people doing that as they try and get through passport control. Just a thought, just a thought. These are just ideas. I'm just uh, sharing I them mean, with the world. I, just, I don't think it actually works that way. <laughs> Does not? <laughs> Crow, what have you got for us this week? Before I start, do either of you TikTok? No. Okay, you laugh. You laugh. Okay, I, I... I'm I'm thoroughly addicted to Instagram, and I know that if I went into the TikTok world, I would not escape it. So, yeah, I I loaded it once on my phone uh... and realized how addictive it was, and I'm like, nope, this can't be on my phone. Yeah. I don't think anyone wants to see me dancing, so I'm not going to become a TikToker. Yeah, but not even a TikToker, but someone who also like just hoovers all that stuff up. One of these, you know, talker stalkers. Realistically, <laughs> I am called. still seeing all the TikTok content on Instagram. So, <laughs> ah, uh, I guess republished. I see. Yeah. Well, the thing is, is you know, I would call it an internet sensation, right? But it's starting to worry governments and institutions, and we're going to endeavor to try and answer the hot question: what they are worried about. What are you guys worrying about? Are they are they worried that it's run by a Chinese company? Like, I would be. China seems to come up a lot, doesn't it, as a complaint about it? 
Yes, because it started off as musical.ly, right? And it was a platform to share lip syncing services in 2014. But four years later, Chinese firm ByteDance acquired musical.ly or Li and renamed it to TikTok. And it became more of a pl- more than just a platform to lip sync, right? It kind of it's now called a short form video hosting service, and it's used by millions. My my niece is an athlete, and um, she, she she sort of competes at hurdles and things, and she's very good. And and she told me she put up a video on TikTok the other day, and it had like half a million views. It's unbelievable. That's a lot. Wow. So it is extraordinary. Now, it may be that they repeat themselves all the time. Maybe she left it on all night. So it was just playing. I don't, but still, I mean, she, she got to half a million. Wow. Well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing math. I think that'd there. be a bit hard to manufacture, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> all the bots. All the bots. (laughs) All the bots. All the bots in the whole world. Well, you know, according to Cloudflare, back in 2021, it was actually, it made it to number one position ahead of Google. Can you believe that? Yeah. I mean, we were all really bored in the pandemic. So I think there was a serious amount of TikToking happening. Right. And it's gone back down. So it's now below the other main socials, the Instas, the Twitters, the Facebooks. Right. As a non-TikToker, I was like, okay, well, let me, let me just see what's, you know, hot right now. What's, you know, what's going on in the TikTok world? And uh, so I saw one news piece about a TikToker who quits every job she's ever had over the most minor inconveniences. This is what her channel focuses on, apparently. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, quote, I started doing this thing where I could clock in and I would sit in the break room for 10 hours every single day. And I did this for like a month until I got caught. And then they wanted me to explain myself. So I just quit. So, you know, this is uh, intense. Seems like a high quality kind of person there, you know, like. Right. And the other one was this like UK TikTok star radio presenter attempted to do the world's highest pancake flip. And in the article I saw, it didn't even explain if he managed it or not. He went up the I-360 in Brighton and then flipped a pancake while up sailing down the viewing tower. So, you know, I'm just thinking really important stuff. Right? Yeah. yeah, I'm pretty sure TikTok's just full of all of that because my Instagram feed is full of all of that stuff too. <laughs> right? So, so why the heck are some high-powered folks not happy? Because this week, the European Commission announced its ban of TikTok from government-issued devices. So mm. more than 35,000 workers need to remove TikTok from official handsets, as well as personal phones with access to EU Council services. And it cites, as you uh, predicted, growing concerns about the Chinese-owned video sharing app. Well, think, think about this, though. Think about this. What, what permissions does TikTok need? for you to be able to like post TikToks, right? It needs a microphone, it needs video, um, it probably needs uh, access to uh, storage folders, um, mm-hmm. to p- like to pick up videos you've already played. And if you're not a mm-hmm. savvy person and say only while well in this app, um, and even then, like, what else are they doing? They've got the permissions. They can be going through the rest of your document folders. Um, so I, yeah. I think it's not necessarily what the app can do. It's like, or what it's supposed to do, but what it can do clandestine, like behind the scenes. Totally, 100%. And the EU Commission agrees with you, I think. So uh, they say that workers are required to remove the app at their earliest convenience, quote unquote, as long as that's before March 15th. 
at which point devices with the app installed will be considered non-compliant within the corporate environment. And blown up, exploded, destroyed. Well, if they miss this 2.5-week deadline, the Commission's email and Skype for business will be bricked, apparently. Nope. So they're not playing around. So do none of these devices have MDM on them? Like, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, to do it remotely, yeah. See, I wonder if it's like um, in some environments, it's your personal phone, but it has mm-hmm. work capabilities. Mm. So there, that's the one. So if it's the work phone, if it's a device provided you by work and you then install TikTok on it. Yeah, that's easy. They can okay, take it off. And they say, take it off. That's kind of, you can kind of understand that. But if it's your own personal phone that they've asked you to bring into the office and and access certain device, you know, through certain apps, it's a different kettle of fish. Can they legally do that? Can they legally tell you what can be on your own personal phone? Because I know I know that's come up a lot at different places that I've worked, right? Where you bring your own phone and then you basically they have a they have a you know a management um tool that allows you to put work apps onto your phone and then nothing from your phone can talk to those work apps, yeah. right? Yeah. They were always very clear to say, we cannot see anything on your phone. We cannot delete anything on your phone. That's not inside the the work app part. So that's... Until Bossware came yeah. along. <laughs> well, I mean, that's what they were saying because they probably, you know, presumably want to at least appear to be good companies I don't, <laughs> and, and be good companies, right? Yeah. So that's interesting. Can they force you to do stuff with your own personal items? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they can just it's go true. all like um, NSA and CSE on you and make you like leave your phone at the door and, you know, not allow you to take any personal device into the office at all. And that's true. And like, the, you know, the EU Commission is not the first, you know, I don't know, governmental organization to do this. The FCC last year called on Apple and Google to remove TikTok from the app stores. Do you remember? Yeah. Yeah, I do remember that. Yeah. Over, yeah, over its pattern of surreptitious data practices following a report which revealed that ByteDance officials in Beijing had repeatedly accessed TikTok's sensitive data. Uh, that it had collected on U.S. citizens. I suspect these balloons that have been floating around are probably getting people even more nervous about it. <laughs> the Wi-Fi beeps. Yeah. <laughs> are they just like to help the dick TikTok service? Like, is that what they are? Like, they connect, they connect to TikTok? <laughs> I thought the balloons were controlled by TikTokers who were taking drone footage of themselves flipping pancakes while they abseiled down building. <laughs> The thing is, though, is TikTok is trying its darndest to avoid this type of situation because a few days ago, they announced two more data centers will be placed in Europe to kind of really underline the fact that European data put on TikTok will stay in Europe. But they may have been too late because also in the news this week is Canada, Dinah, you're in my homeland. (laughs) Because soon after the EU Commission's announcement, Canada's privacy protection regulators launched an investigation into TikTok over its collection Hmm. of user data. So, uh, and they they initiated it in the wake of now settled class action lawsuits in the United States and Canada, as well as numerous media reports related to TikTok's collection, use and disclosure of personal information. So they're basically saying we have total right to do this based upon the evidence we have collected so far. Okay, but here's another question. Go. How is this any different from what Facebook or Google or Apple 
Not owned by ByteDance, not owned by ByteDance, not owned by ByteDance. <laughs> yeah, I think it's it's just it's like not not a Chinese company. Is that is it so it's okay as long as it's not a Chinese company? Like Yeah. Oh god. We live in a weird world. I, I hear you. Uh, but if we come back to what we were saying before, right? It does collect a lot of information. Those other apps do it too, right? Microphones, phone access, mm-hmm. all that stuff. But weirdly, and it's just interesting to watch right now. So politically, the BBC report that the UK is not yet following suit. So UK Prime Minister Richie Rishi Sunak is resisting calls to ban government officials from using TikTok amid renewed concerns from some conservative MPs. So Alicia Kearns, she's the Common Foreign Affairs Committee chairwoman. She's leading uh, the call for the UK government to follow the European Commission. So it's kind of hot waters right now for TikTok, right? Yeah. The thing is, is what am I, what are they worried about? Like, the other question, I guess, because I asked you at the beginning, like, if you had TikTok, if you were TikTokers, like, what adults in very important jobs in government actually have TikTok on their phone? Oh, probably lots, actually. Oh, really? I think you, I think you'd be surprised, Carol. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, you, you asked some security conscious people, right, about it, and I knew about the China yeah. thing, so I, I haven't loaded it. As well as I yeah. think it will be too addictive yeah. for me. But I'm also, but so we are not, I don't think we're the target audience here. Yeah. I know, but you can just imagine <laughs> you're walking down the halls of power and you're seeing people like reading memos on their phone. No, no, they're just giggling at cats bouncing on trampolines in time to Bonnie Tyler or something. <laughs> Hang on, I'm, I'm joining TikTok if they've got stuff like that on it. That sounds great. <laughs> no wonder we're freaking doomed, guys. Jeez. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Our sponsor Collide has some big news. If you're an Okta user, then you can get your entire fleet to 100% compliance. How? If a device isn't compliant, the user can't log into your cloud apps until they fix the problem. It's that simple. Collide patches one of the major holes in zero trust architecture, device compliance. Without Collide, IT struggles to solve basic problems like keeping everyone's OS and browser up to date. Insecure devices are logging into your company's apps, but there's nothing there to stop them. Collide is the only device trust solution that enforces compliance as part of authentication, and it's built to work seamlessly with Okta. The moment Collide's agents detect a problem, it alerts the user and gives them instructions to fix it. If they don't fix the problem within a set time, they're blocked. Collide's method means fewer support tickets, less frustration, and most importantly, 100% fleet compliance. Want to learn more? Of course you do. Visit collide.com slash smashing. That's collide.com slash smashing. And thanks to Collide for sponsoring the show. Our friends at Bitwarden have been busy this month adding some fab new features to their open source password management solution. Now, did you know that you can log into Bitwarden using a secondary device instead of your master password? Well, now you do. (laughs) Logging in with a device is a passwordless approach to authentication. It removes the need to enter your master password by sending authentication requests to other devices you're currently logged into for approval. With login for device, it can be initiated on the web vault, browser extension, desktop app, mobile app, and you can approve access on your mobile and desktop app version of Bitwarden. 
very, very cool. And the Bitwarden team has hardened the security of its vaults, protecting new vaults with 600,000 iterations by default. And of course, existing accounts can also update themselves to the same level. These and many other great security features are incorporated all the time into Bitwarden, keeping your password secure from hackers. Learn more, try Bitwarden for yourself at bitwarden.com slash smashing. That's bitwarden.com slash smashing. When do you have insight into your compliance, security, and risk postures? If it's right before an audit, you're in the same boat as many other organizations. With Drata G2's highest rated cloud compliance software, you'll have continuous monitoring and visibility into your risk security controls and audit readiness for standards like SOC 2, ISO 27001, GDPR, HIPAA, and more. Plus, Drata can streamline compliance for over 14 frameworks and even automate the custom frameworks and controls you create to meet your organization's unique security needs. With more than 75 native integrations and a risk management solution, you'll have a tool that will scale with you. Professionals from companies like Notion, Lemonade, and Bamboo HR have shared how crucial it has been to have Drata as their trusted compliance partner. Listeners, you can get 10% off Drata and waived implementation fees by visiting smashingsecurity.com forward slash Drata. That's D-R-A-T-A. And welcome back. Can you join us at our favourite part of the show, the part of the show that we like to call Pick of the Week. Pick of the Week. Pick of the Week. Pick of the Week is the part of the show where everyone chooses something like. It could be a funny story, a book that they've read, a TV show, a movie, a record, a podcast, a website or an app. Whatever they wish. It doesn't have to be security related necessarily. Better not be. Well, my Pick of the Week is not security related. Good. I want to, I want to cast my mind back to when I was a young man going to school in 1980. There I was. I was out of short... I was thinking of the 30s there for some reason. <laughs> there I was in short trousers walking to school. Uh, what I want to know is what kind of uh, kind of hairdo did you have in those nights? I, I, I was Probably a mullet. Was, did you have the mullet? I was very, very square. I was the only oh. kid at school who had a briefcase. Everyone no, else did you really? Or, I had a briefcase, yes. And a shoelace awesome. for a zipper as well, it. but that's for another it. show. <laughs> That's the best. <laughs> anyway, I remember that one of the pressing issues at the time in the very early 1980s was, of course, the threat of imminent nuclear war. And there were sort of infomercials on the TV. That just took a dark turn. Yeah, no, comedy show, comedy <laughs> well, show. that's what it was. Show. That's yeah. what it was. When I was about 11 or 12, that was lots of talk about that and painting your windows uh, to stop the radiation blast, hiding under the table, that kind of thing. And uh, it it was something we were quite worried about. This was sort of pre-Gorbachev, and uh, it, it seemed to be a, quite a possibility. You listened to a lot of Sting. Well, was, <laughs> no, no, things were never that bad, Carol. But, uh, <laughs> but in 1980, Tyne T's television in the UK, they put out a magazine show for teenagers called Check It Out!, you know those sort of TV shows they put on for teenagers where they're all really hip and they're wearing multicoloured uh, dungarees and things like that, they're being very friendly. Hi, hello, everybody. Hello. And today uh, we're going to tell kids in the northeast of England the lowdown on nuclear war. And so you can watch this 20-minute This actually program. happened. This actually yep. happened. Mm -hmm. You can watch this programme on YouTube. Uh, it's a delight from start to finish. 
The entire glorious episode is up there and you will see them in all their multicolours being very upbeat as they explain how to use a chemical toilet and packing your baked beans and things which you can... And this was put out at sort of tea time for teenagers. If there was a nuclear war, what horrors could we expect? Well, imagine a one megaton bomb hitting Tyneside as a ground burst and the same size bomb on Teesside exploding as an airburst. What? On Tyneside, everyone in a mile what? radius of the blast would be killed and oh, there would be man. heavy damage for up to two and a half mile radius. This pamphlet would be given to every household if war threatened, with hints on turning this your home into scary. a shelter. It's and this was put out at sort of tea time really for teenagers. And I was watching this thinking, wow. what a wonderful thing that we're not living in that uh, era. Well, Mike, maybe we are actually. Maybe we are. <laughs> we're just blind to it. Maybe we should be worried about this. Do you like the screenshots I've included there? Someone described it as like having a nuclear holocaust explained to you by Rod, Jane and Freddie from Rainbow. <laughs> I do. Oh, my God. Those are. Oh, my God. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That's uh, that's incredible. But look at that chemical toilet is made out of a garbage can. Yeah, <laughs> it's a cat litter. Chair basically. where they've yes. taken the they've, they've taken the the top of the chair off, and they've got pink toilet paper beside it because apparently you need pink toilet paper, which is probably something you could get in the eighties because you know people like to coordinate their bathroom colors. <laughs> but it is a fascinating time capsule, and so that, and I'll link to it in the show notes, is my pick of the week. Check it out. The TV program for teenagers in 1980. Wonderful, Dinah. Words. What? Are, what's your pick of the week? I have to follow that one up. It's it's a it's a more serious topic, but okay. So uh, I I grew up in uh, in Winnipeg, Manitoba, which is in Canada. In Manitoba, has the highest proportion of Indigenous people of any province in Canada. So I definitely I grew up amongst and around a lot of different. Indigenous people. And there's an Indigenous group of people that is really unique to what they call the Red River Valley, which is this area of Manitoba, Saskatchewan, North Dakota. And they're called Mm. the Métis Nation. And Mm. yeah, the Métis Nation. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. their experience is much different from that of like the Inuit or First Nations groups. Um, They are Mm. descendants of First Nations women and a group of European men called Les Voyageurs. Oh. And for our non-French speakers, it just means voyagers. Yeah. The term voyageur um, originally described like all explorers that came, you know, to Canada for exploring, fur trade, all that kind of stuff. Trees. Yeah, to freeze, <laughs> uh, to hopefully not die of scurvy. Mm. Eventually, they became... It centered on one specific group that were basically these groups of mostly French Canadians, very young in their early 20s and stuff. And they would be in these big canoes of like 20, 20 people in a canoe. And, and one of the things in the, in uh, basically is I'm, I'm going to recommend a book here, but in the, in this book that I've been reading, um, I'm all over the place. It's all good. Um, but in this book, like one super cool thing that they talk about is that they used to like, go and and canoe and travel for 16 hours a day at a um, paddle rate of 60 paddles per minute. Wow. No crumbs. For, for like 16 to, crazy. to 20 hours, right? And and the, the way they kept up this 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 beat or whatever was they sang. And so they have this like really rich history, right? And 
Um, it's often romanticized in places like Manitoba. We have like, I have fond memories of the Festival de Boisel as a kid mm. and eating bannock, which is this awesome bread yeah. that the indigenous people make over a fire. Uh, and of course, maple syrup, snow popsicles. Mm-hmm. Um, if you don't know what that is. <laughs> you, you basically pour maple syrup on snow. Yeah. Not and, yellow snow, but, but not, not, not yellow snow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> we learned that very young. <laughs> but I also remember doing um, a report on Louis Riel in high school, and he's kind of like this. Uh, I mean, it's, in the end, he's a martyr, basically, of, of the Métis Nation. But he was a very strong political person, and um, they weren't treated very well. They weren't First Nations, so, oh. you know, they didn't fit in there. Yeah. They weren't Inuit. They weren't European. They didn't fit right. in there. Um, and like hmm. the best way to describe how the British, French, and later definitely the Canadian is that they basically, it was a genocide. And like, it, it's really, you can't even describe mm. it in any other. So this book is written by, uh, Jean Tilliet. I hope I said her name right. I don't know, but she is the great grandniece of Louis Riel. Oh. She is an indigenous rights lawyer. And highly respected in the indigenous community goes through and talks about it basically from early 1800s all the way to today and how, how this group of people was treated. And I just think for any Canadian, it's almost a must. Guilt trip. <laughs> no, <I'm kidding>. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's just really interesting. So, uh, it, the book is called, I never even said that the Northwest is our mother. So that's my pick of the week. Hey, so it's the Northwest is our mother and the author is? Jean Tillet. I guess it's T-E-I-L-L-E-T. Cool. Fantastic. I've sorted out Crow's Christmas present. As a Canadian, she should be listening to that. Yeah. Crow, what's your pick of the week? Yeah, well, before I get into that, I'd just like to thank you both for teeing me up with, um, you know, nuclear holotoss <laughs> genocide. So uh, thanks very much. <laughs> We're very cheery today. <laughs> My pick of the week, listeners, is a new streaming series. Oh, <laughs> it's yeah. basically for those people who like kind of smart relationship dramas. Um, it's called Fleischman is in Trouble. It's based on a book. Right. Yeah. I wish so much um, I had read the book before I'd watched the series. I The book, I just never got into my echo chamber. And then the the series was there and I just ran to it. So just setting the scene, Toby Fleischman is played by Jesse Eisenberg. Yeah. Oh, okay. He's a recently divorced New Yorker in his 40s. And he starts using dating apps for the first time. And while he finds lots and lots and lots of romantic success, surprisingly amount of romantic success... He that he never achieved, you know, in his youth before that. Um, his ex-wife Rachel, played by Claire Danes, mm. disappears. Okay, and like oh. they have kids, and uh, it's like she's not showing up to pick them up or call or anything. This took a turn I did not expect. Okay, right, right. So, I, yeah. and I'm hoping that's not giving anything away, but I don't think it is. I think that happens fairly early in the show, and but there's a lot of twists and turns in this, and you have to watch a man um, learn how to multitask um, more oh, than you know, more than he ever had to before, because you know he's got the children, he works at a hospital, uh, he has all these sexual partners, right, in Manhattan. So it's hard to balance and juggle all that. But, you know, he also is really wanting to find where his wife is. So 
that's kind of the story. And the whole thing is narrated by Toby's uni friend. So you're not ever sure whether she's reliable or not. Ah. You see what I'm saying? And I think that's the secret sauce of the whole show. Mm-hmm. Because you watch it closely and you're like, ooh, that sounds interesting. That makes sense. But is she reading that or is she, does she know that? So that's kind of what I think keeps you going. Anyway, I thought it was great, except for there's a lot of sex. So oh, God, we or, don't or want nu- that. Or nude scenes oh, or nudie oh, scenes. Oh, worst. A lot of, yeah, a lot of self-love. A lot of self-love. Oh, my goodness. Um, but the show is good. It has an unusual rhythm. It feels it has nice honesty to it. So two thumbs up. That's not a euphemism from me. Um, <laughs> that is Fleischman is in trouble, streaming on FX and Hulu. <laughs> um, and it's my pick of the week. Fantastic. <laughs> it's the guy from The Social Network, isn't it? Yeah, The Social Network. Yeah. See, I don't find him at all attractive physically. No, you wouldn't give him two thumbs up? Uh, no, not in that. Not in, I, would, I would kick him out of bed for eating crackers. Anyway, <laughs> that just about wraps up the show for this week. I think we should get out of here before we're arrested. <laughs> Dinah, I'm sure lots of our listeners would love to follow you online and find out what great stuff you're up to. What's the best way for folks to do that? Uh, LinkedIn, uh, Diane Davis. And also uh, you can follow uh, codelikeagirl.io, which is my online publication where there's lots of different women telling their stories in technology. Cool. Super. And you can follow us on Twitter at Smash Insecurity. No G, Twitter and Mouse to have a G. We also have a Mastodon account. You can find it most easily by going to smashinsecurity.com slash Mastodon. And don't forget to ensure you never miss another episode. Follow Smash Insecurity in your favourite podcast apps, such as Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And huge, huge shout out to this episode's sponsors, Collide, Bitwarden, Andrada, and of course to our wonderful Patreon community. It's thanks to them all that this show is free. For episode show notes, sponsorship info, guest list, and the entire back catalogue of more than 310 episodes, check out smashingsecurity.com. Until next time, cheerio. Bye bye. 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 <laughs> well, well done, Dinah. Thanks so much. Thank you, Dinah. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me on. I really love it. It's so much fun. Oh. <laughs> Yay! Well, now that we know that you're uh, free and easy, we'll have loads of time. She's not working. She's free and easy. She's still doing stuff, girl. (laughs) Sure. She understands what I mean. I don't think she's worried. Yeah. Yeah.